This is Joe Fox, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of The Real Talk Podcast. We are here with my team, the talk team, and Danielle and Ying. Say hello. Hey. This is episode 85. I'm here with my friend Joe Fox, friend and business colleague in the real estate industry here in New York City. But before we introduce Joe, I just want to say a couple things. You know, it's... Man, it's tough. It's been tough. Uh, June of 2023 has been a, a tough and interesting uh, month for us. I think for Danielle and I, we were ranked officially in the top 1.5% of real estate agents in America, according to Real Trends. So golf clap to that. That's an accomplishment. I think it's a, you know, it, it doesn't count. And I'm going to tell you this, Joe way the trends are calculated are based off gross sales. And of course we do sales, but we also handle a lot of rentals, not just rental buildings, but single unit owner co-op and condos all over New York City. And it doesn't count those transactions. So I feel like if they actually counted those transactions somehow, not as just sales, but I don't know, landlord side leases from our past past buyers or... I'm not sure what it, what, what it should be, but if they calculated the GCI from the rentals and sales, I think we should probably be in the top 1% of America at the minimum. I agree. Right? At, at the minimum. <laughs> I mean, you know, some rentals in New York City, Joe, we're going to talk about this, but some rentals in New York City is, it, is probably harder <laughs> than some of, these rent, some of these sales deals that we do. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's perplexing, but I get it. And also, across the nation... Most brokers, unlike New York City, most brokers don't do rental deals and they also don't really value rentals as part of their business, unlike New York City brokers. Mm. So that's a whole other topic that we could talk about another day. But so that's been interesting. Danielle and I got into the rankings. So congrats, Danielle. Most of it is the the president of the talk team over here, Danielle Stout, right? The master behind the scenes and operating our business here. So that's an huge accomplishment. A second thing I wanted to bring up was my family is actually moving back to Japan and we have just vacated our house in Fairfax, Virginia. So yeah, really tough times. It's a transition that's needed for my family, for my parents to move back to Japan. But... Obviously, it's a tough thing for myself and even my siblings just because we grew up in that area. So our ties are there. That's our home base. So losing that is certainly not easy. They're selling? Uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're selling their home. It's already in contract. The market there is crazy. They're, they had like 20 buyers in two days. Wow. In like six, seven offers or eight offers. And I'm good for that. You would think yeah. with the rates going up. Yeah. More than double from last year that the housing market would be slower, but... I guess government employees. There's a lot of a lot of government people in in Northern Virginia, right? Mm. You have you have Department of DOD, Department of Defense. You have people that work in Capitol Hill. You have people that work for the Senate. You have defense contractors, which is huge, right? Yeah. So you have Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, all the big companies that build guns and missiles and all you know, nice air, stuff. Air fighter jets and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. The Boeing is there, yeah. you know, you, and then you have like people that work for the Pentagon. Yeah, there so. You don't have the FU money that you see in like Greenwich, Connecticut, where you have like Ray Dalio and hedge fund people that buy houses out there, or you know, even in Westchester, yeah, too, you have Wall Street money in Westchester, yeah. So you have insanely rich people up there. You don't really see that that much out in, in, in DC. You might see like 
you know, Dan Snyder or right. you know, like the but like I bet one off people. I bet you get a lot of comfortable yeah, people. I think so. Yeah. You know? I think that's what they say is that, you know, Potomac, Maryland is one of the richest zip codes in the nation primarily because that's it's funded by the DOD. It's taxpayer money. Yeah. So you don't get F U money, but you do get very wealthy people there. So in any event, goodbye to well, my Tyson bitter, bittersweet. Nova Sorry to hear. It's a bittersweet, uh, it's a bittersweet month. Yeah, no. very tough and you know, it's needed for my family, but that's, uh, you know, that is where it is. So, on to, enough of my life, on to <laughs> our episode. I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to have Joe on the show. Joe and I worked together for almost a decade in the capacity of Joe being a I manager. Think, I think and a little more, maybe. Maybe a little 12, bit more. Almost 11, 12 years. Okay, yeah, 11, Close. 12 years. Yeah. And I, in the capacity of Joe being a manager operator of various real estate properties throughout New York City. And, and what I mean by various is he operates and manages pre-war rental buildings, uh, commercial spaces, co-ops and condos throughout New York City in the capacity of him managing the board of those buildings. He has experience dealing with the Department of Buildings, DOB, experience with dealing with DOT, experience with dealing with all sorts of governmental organizations. ECB, FDNY, uh, DEP, uh, whatever acronym you could think of. There's, <laughs> there's right. some municipal body that's with right. that. Fire department. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's the worst. Man. Fire department. The worst. The worst. Okay, the so worst. we'll talk about that. The worst. Uh, Important, but the worst dealing with. You, you know, shout out to my, my good friend, Chef Jack, we were talking about this yesterday, but, you know, he, Chef Jack, loves the food business because he likes cooking. He's a chef. But when you run a, a restaurant, it's the same thing as running some of these buildings, right? You are essentially dealing with the politics of the city versus uh, actually doing the business. Yeah. So in any event, Joe and I, I have to give credit to the, the, going back, let's just say about 15 years plus of where I started the business in real estate. I owe a lot of my early friction into the business was how do you get a client? How do you run a business? How do you get clients? How do you get properties? And I have to owe... Joe and your team, the credit for initially helping my business grow and helping me get into the real estate industry, actually. And, it, and I'm going to tell you a story that you don't know, but when I first got your number, the 1150 number, mm -hmm. I know it like the back of my hand now, but I was working and being quote unquote trained at a small Japanese real estate agency. Really? That was even before it's, town? Before town. Before DJK, before town. And... This guy, he's, you know, bless his soul, he's, he means well, but he's an older guy, Japanese, very just old school Japanese, doesn't really train, he just believes in like yelling and like doing the deals and like expecting me to learn. And he was like, well, I was like, all right, so first day in the office, what do I do? He's like, you gotta call these numbers and like ask to preview these listings. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I'm calling all these numbers and it's like, Mr. It's like Mr. David. He like wrote it in like Japanese handwriting, Mr. David, and it was like a two one two number. I would call and it'd be like a random super for like BLDG or something, some like landlord, right? And I'd be like a random super for like for like East Side properties. And so cold cold calling, basically. I'm like cold calling supers, and they're just like, "Who are you?" And no, I'm like, "Oh, cool. This is how it is." It was like one management company. It was like Brownstone Properties. Oh, man, I, rem mm. I remember this. It was like Brownstone Management. Right? Yeah, I know. Upper I know them, yeah. Some guy, some guy picks up and he's like, I'm like, hey, I'm talk uh, with this company and I'd like to uh, preview your properties. And the, he immediately responds by saying, blah, 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 and he hangs up. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell am I going well, to Welcome to New York, man. This is, <laughs> this is brutal. Like, no one hates. But, and then, 
somebody by the name of, name of Aruna picks up. I call this 1150 number, and I'm like, well, what's going on here? I'd like to preview. They're like, yeah, sure, come on in. I'm like, whoa, this is nice. Whoa, first time. First time, like, someone was actually nice to me. And I go to this office, and I get some keys, and I, like, make the copies downstairs, and I meet this guy, Jeff, and, like, he's kind of an ass, but kind of funny, but kind of, I don't know, he's, like, very New York, I guess. Yeah, like a lot of New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then I get, get keys, and I start showing them, and I'm, like, previewing, and it, I just flip through this book, and I just call, like, 40 numbers in this book, and... I'm like going to like Queens, all the way to Queens. I'm like previewing all the way in Harlem and I'm going all the way to fight. I'm like, where are these numbers coming from? And anyway, I, I met your team through that phone book and that, that's how. No, and, that's here and, and here, here we, we are. And here we are. Yeah, here, here we, we are. are. So something good came out of that, out of, uh, let's just say, a very <laughs> tough training period of my early mm-hmm. years in real estate. So in any event, so Joe, before we get, your, get into the topics of today and the deep dive questions about New York City real estate and your experience, and just preface this for the listeners, Joe's an extremely humble man. Yeah. And he doesn't brag, he doesn't talk about himself, so I know this is, this is going to be a challenge. And I, I know, from what I know, you are a wealth of knowledge, but people probably won't know that because you're too humble. And you're so humble that you don't really talk about yourself enough to the point where I think today, maybe we're gonna put you into a little bit of an uncomfortable situation, but I appreciate your time here and I really appreciate you joining and coming on. So before we get deep dive into our questions, our first section is called one or the other. So when you, when I say these two words, just pick one or the other, mm-hmm. and then we'll just kind of rapid fire. Okay. And then I'll maybe come back and like ask why. Okay. okay? So here we go. Williamsburg or Greenpoint? Greenpoint. Upper East Side or the Upper West Side? It's a tough one. Uh, upper West. Okay. Midtown East or Midtown West? Midtown East. Israel or Finland? Uh, depends on the time of the year. I'd say in general, Israel. Okay. Greenpoint Brewery or Brooklyn Brewery? Greenpoint Brewery. Pre-war buildings or post-war buildings? Pre-war. Renting in a co-op condo or renting in a rental building? Renting in a rental building. Single, if it's for investment, yeah. you purchasing buying single family building or a multi-family building? Depends on your finances and depends on rates. Let's just per- say yeah. it's money's not much of an issue. If money's not an issue, then I'd say multiple. Multi-family. Multi-family. Okay, great. Next segment is called one word questions. So please answer um, what the words that I'm about to say. Please answer them in one single word, the first word that comes to your head, your reactionary word. Okay. okay. First word is rent stabilization or rent control. Doesn't work. New York City commercial office space. Tough times, potential, the next crisis. Today's residential rental market in New York City. Best ever. 2020 residential rental market in New York City. Awful. Landlords in America and landlords in New York City. Pragmatic. Favorite neighborhood for dinner? Williamsburg. Best neighborhood, in your opinion, for families? In New York City, uh, Park Slope and maybe Greenpoint as well. How about outside? of New York City. Best neighborhood for families? Yes. I haven't lived everywhere. <laughs> you, but you've been to a lot of places. Yeah, I'd probably say somewhere outside of the United States. <laughs> probably. Okay. But uh, if I had to choose. I would say you would say Tel, Tel Aviv, but no. Yeah, well, not, not for sure. I mean, Israel, for, for some things, is a good place to, to raise a family. For a lot of other reasons, it's not. I would say maybe somewhere in Europe, Denmark. One more. Final one. DOB. <sighs> Nightmare. Okay, so I want to go back. Thank you for playing. 
Uh, I want to go back to the one word questions. And your first, you know, you said, you said uh, the Upper East Side or Upper West Side, and, and people have various degrees of, of attachments to every neighborhood in the city, but why the Upper West Side for you? I think, well, first of all, I, I manage and used to manage a number of properties on the Upper East Side. So I think that whole area is a little bit tainted for me. Yeah, a little bit traumatizing. <laughs> when, when my parents come to, my parents, when they come to town, they, they keep kosher. So it's very convenient for them to stay oh, on yes. the Upper West Side, uh, synagogues, uh, restaurants, everything. So I'm, I think I'm a little more familiar with it. It feels a little more, how would I say it, a little less pretentious on the okay. Upper East Side sure. for, some, for some residents. It does, yeah. Because uh, there's no Park Avenue atmosphere, Madison yeah. Avenue, Fifth Avenue atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Full, full disclosure, I'm not a fan of neither of, the, uh, neither of those <laughs> neighborhoods. Nothing personal. Okay. It's just not no, my no, cup of, of tea. But yeah, okay. uh, yeah, out of the two, I would say probably, I, I feel like the Upper West Side just feels a little more neighborhood Okay. And then you said Greenpoint over Williamsburg. However, you did say your favorite place to dine is in Williamsburg. I, I think so. I think there's more options, you know. I'm, I'm not the biggest foodie. My, that, I leave that to my wife. But I, I feel like we always manage to find more places to eat in Williamsburg. Actually, maybe I should have said I should have said maybe Long Island City, actually. Oh, okay. That's another location that I really... That I really you know what? I take it all back. Forget it. Scrap everything. I would say, like, Sunnyside, Queens. For dining. For dining. Okay. Or flushing. Okay. Oh, flushing, of course. Yeah. That's a great option. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't even think of that. I went, I, my head went straight to fancy or whatever, nice restaurants, but actually, in my opinion, the, the best food is, is in Queens. So Queens is probably the most diverse neighborhood in New York City. Yeah. Now, flushing, you say, is particularly interesting because it's mostly Chinese food. Yeah. yeah. So Chinese, Chinese, Chinese all Asian. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chinese food. And, okay. So if it was a kosher restaurant, do you have any... Go-tos in the Upper West Side? Place, and it's not in the Upper... Well, on the Upper West Side, there's more more casual places. The place, like the steakhouse that my family usually goes to, is probably one that most people go to. It's next to Times Square. It's called uh, Le Marais. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think it's like a lot of kosher foods, kosher restaurants. I think they're, you know, overpriced, and the quality is There's a lot of high-end kosher restaurants in the West Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I always find that... Price-wise, they're just—they're not like they're not as good as the non-kosher restaurants, <laughs> and they're more expensive. It's more expensive, yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you, I, and I t I'll tell you. Well, one reason, or a couple of reasons, why I think kosher food is generally more expensive. Obviously, you know, first of all, it's preparation, it's, uh, it's preparation supervision. You can only get from certain places, yep. you know, all that mm -hmm. stuff. But also, in terms of like, when you think about New York City, if you think about it, a kosher restaurant cannot be open between Friday night. At sunset and Saturday night and sunset. Is, That's a full day out of the weekend, which is probably the busiest day in any other restaurant, yep. completely closed. Yep. So they're actually working on a six-day week and not a seven. So I, I think that's another reason why kosher food, and I, I always make a I don't keep kosher anymore. My parents do. Mm. I always make a face when, the, when we get the bill. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's so overpriced. I could have taken you to a million places better, but I think, I think that's part of the contribution and okay. the reason. Yeah. But yeah, there is a lot. I, and yeah, I'm in the Upper West Side quite often, and and I've come to realize that the kosher options are, are definitely busy on, yeah. a, on a Thursday or oh, Wednesday, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also on Saturday evenings, I guess. But the amount of people that are going out of these restaurants, I feel like there's just so many, there's a lot of demand for kosher food. Yeah, so yeah. The, the line yeah. for these places. Oh, yeah. I always tell my fiance Liz, like, let's go try one, one of these. We can't get in. It's yeah. on 69th Street, actually. Oh, yeah. On West 69th. Yeah. Uh, we, we can't get in because, I guess, just the demand. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. not a place where you can just, like, not plan and casually walk in. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, Joe, you are also a man of many, many funny stories. I really, 
you know, you, when you said Israel or Finland and you picked Israel, obviously it's your home country. Tell me about, you know, why the Israeli airlines are so funny. El Al? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is. You're, do you, you're not a fan of it or? I, 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 I use it because it's one of the airlines. I mean, you have, you know, the, you have Delta well, and United, course, yeah, the fighter as well, yeah, but, but El Al, usually the flights can sometimes be a little cheaper and there's more flights going every day right. and yeah, it's, it's quite an experience because you, you have a love-hate relationship with that airline right at this point it's more of a hate hate <laughs> i just when i have to go and i use it but when i have to use it i use it but it's basically yeah it's going it's a 12-hour flight you okay. know israelis you know i love i love them they're my people but they're not known to be the most patient patience isn't the exact the strongest virtue in uh, in israel between that, especially twelve hours. Yeah, and a twelve-hour flight. Between that, sometimes the plane is like ninety-five percent Hasidic, you know, Hasidic Jews. Which again, not, nothing against, but they get up to pray, they get up to this three <laughs> times. Blah, blah, you know, if there's, you they, the don't same, wanna, right? they don't want to, they don't want to sit. They don't want to sit. A lot, also, a lot of times, they don't, they won't want to sit next to women. Oh, and they'll ask to change, even though they didn't like book their flights oh or goodness. book their seats or whatever. And to a point where I remember times. I remember one time in JFK. You know, this one Hasid, the full flight, no place to put him. This one Hasid would not sit next to the woman. And, and I was next to him, and he, and, and he asked me, he said, do you mind changing? And on principle, I was like, no, if you wanted to, if you wanted to sit not next to a woman, you should have booked a seat in bit or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And then the, the flight attendant came and said, please. And I told the flight attendant, if you want to move me, I'm moving to business class only. Otherwise, don't talk to me. I'm <laughs> yes. not, it's an aisle seat. Perfect. I'm not giving this up for anyone. Yeah, aisle seat, of and, course. And on principle, on like principle, yeah. yeah. And I paid for it, and I chose it. Uh, to make a long story short, basically the captain of the flight was getting on the announcement system and begging this guy to sit down because he, he's like, listen, we have seven planes behind us. Oh my goodness. Waiting to, taxiing, waiting to, oh. waiting to take off. We cannot take off until you sit. And the guy was, no. In the end, they told the girl, the girl, they had, there was some other seat for the girl, but the girl also on principle didn't want to move. They, they offered the girl, they said, if you move to the seat, you don't want to sit, we'll give you a free trip to any, oh. any country you want to in order to get the plane out in the air. There you go. And yeah, so yeah. Great so sometimes, yeah. I was hoping you got business class. Huh? I was hoping you would Yeah, me too, class. me too. But uh, yeah, no. But they it didn't, didn't work. Go, huh? Nah, not that time. It's an interesting concept. I feel like if, you, if, it's, if it's an empty seat, it's probably cheaper for them to give you business class versus give somebody a free trip. I, I, maybe, yeah, maybe there wasn't one or I don't know. Yeah. You know, who yeah. knows? Who knows? Yeah, but... I, I, it feels like a, a very tough flight to uh, fly yeah. if you're hungover. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And yeah, you know, it's yeah. But it, it's our, our friend Levi Meyer went to uh, a trip to Kazakhstan to have a oh, rabbi wow. sign this original scroll, like this wow. Jewish scroll, and the whole plane was full of rabbis. And apparently, the the FAA regulations they broke like all of them because yeah. they were drinking, they're drunk, they're singing, they're dancing. They're oh, playing. really? <laughs> Oh, that, that, they, I, almost, I, I've they never were, experienced They were the, supposed to turn the plane around. Really? Apparently. They, yeah. they charted it. Yeah. A lot of funny stories about, uh, I guess, flying. Yeah, and, it's not, I don't think it's anything like flying to Japan if you, <laughs> you know. 100 Yeah, exactly 180%. No one different. talks to each other. No, yeah. one, no, no one says anything. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they're, they're keeping to themselves. Yeah, yeah. And they seem depressed, but I think they're just, they're just Japanese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not depressed. They're just <laughs> Japanese. 
Yes. Funny about that. Well, one more thing about you know the Israel is you you were in the army for a little bit, and I think the yes. mandatory is like thirty six months or something. Like yeah, that. three years. Yeah. Three years, when so. I was in, I was eighteen. Back when I lived, like, I was born, grew up in Israel. When I was eighteen, like every Israeli, I had to go to the army for three years. Did you chaperone uh, birthright American New Jersey Jews, the birthright people. No, no that that kind of started when I when I was already in the army. Uh, okay. You know, it was it was a little later. In, no, oh, as a soldier, you're saying? Yeah, when you were a soldier. No, no. Yeah, they have. Yeah, but. I wasn't in that kind of unit. Okay. I was, oh, yeah, okay. I was, like I was in like in a combat, you know, like uh -huh. a special ops unit. Yeah. What was that like, really? For it was, um, it's hard to say. Good, bad, fun, not fun. It was it was a good experience overall. It was really really difficult. Yeah, yeah. It, it uh, you for know for, for good and well for good and bad. You know, you learn to appreciate the little things in life, like uh, a bed and a warm meal, and uh, you know all these things. It was it was very very demanding. Like training period is about a year and a half, at which you can like fall out at any point. You always have to deliver and and be on top of things and it's very physically demanding mentally but you know i was with a group of very good people friends for life you yeah, know and, and you know from that it was a great experience like i said if i had the choice you know i probably opt to you know i'd rather do like what they do here and go to college and and party you know for four years enjoy life it wasn't yeah. exactly fun but you know i had to do it and yeah, it was a good you know it, it certainly like I said, it gave a different perspective on life. It made me appreciate a lot more things. Probably discipline, discipline absolutely. Average college American 21-year-old. Yeah, old, yeah ab absolutely. I, you know, it, I definitely matured quicker. Although at the same time, I would say it also kind of prevented certain social skills that you may pick up, one may pick up in college. Soft skills, maybe. Yeah, business, soft skills. Or... or just even just regular interaction with people. You know, you yeah. come out of three years of the army where you... You know, I, like I like to tell people, it, it was extremely difficult, very unpleasant situations, and sometimes. But I mean, for any eighteen-year-old coming out of school, you probably want to party, go hang out with girls, yeah. go to school, study, whatever. Yeah. Play. Yeah. But, then, but you, all of your men and women get thrown into the army, yeah. mandatory, unless if you're unless if you're Hasidic, I guess. Yeah, that, they, they have exemption. a way. They have a way to get like exempted out of it. Right. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is so, also. A little bit annoying. So it really forces, I mean, the kids in Israel really are forced to grow up yeah. way faster. Yeah, and, and I would just, I remember what I was going to say, that as much as it was difficult and hard and, and you're, not, you're not even your own property, you know, if, if yeah. you damage, if you shoot yourself in the foot, you get court-martialed for, 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 for damaging army property. You're oh, literally wow. not your own property. Mm -hmm. And it's hard and you have drill sergeants and officers screaming in your face and hazing and, and eating shit and you know all day it's really yeah. it's really really difficult yeah but at the same time it's also very easy because you don't have to you don't have to choose what you're going to wear every day you don't sure. have to choose what you're going to eat you have no decisions to, i mean you have decisions you know uh, tactical decisions uh you know maybe during like, operations like, like what or you eat, like but you, what you eat where you, eat. you go when you sleep when you use the bathroom Everything's given to you, yeah. and that actually—it sounds crazy, but it actually makes life. Well, kids that I'm sure the, there's you know economic differences in, in in any like anywhere in the world. You have children from wealthy families, yeah. So you have children from you know very poor areas. Yeah, I'm sure of Israel. Yeah, but they all are in the army together. It is. It so, is. So that also helps, I think, unify not just the country but also like societally speaking. Absolutely. It's, it's like, hey, you're it's, poor. I'm rich. But we're neck and neck. We're going to train together. Absolutely. It's a right. melting pot. Like I had with me and my team, there was one guy, one of the you know, top 10 rich families in Israel. This oh, yeah. 
his parents were, his father was like a multi-billionaire. Uh -huh. And in the same team, I had, you know, this, this guy who had to take off, like, he would take away, when we would go on leave, he'd take rations and bread and stuff to, yeah. to bring to his family. And you know, because I had no money. And, and but everybody's the, in it the same boat. They're all eating the same thing. Yeah, and yeah. So, yeah. so in that sense, like, I'm not going to say that Israel doesn't have, uh, you know, uh, big gaps and social, uh, socioeconomic gaps. It does, like, everywhere, but it's less felt. And I think a big part of it is because of the army, because yeah. you're, you're in it together, risking your life, whatever, millionaire with, with the poverty-stricken people all together in the same, uh, you know, it's... it's Kind of the people, it's a people's army because there's a draft, everybody has to go. I, I don't know how it is here, but I would imagine that unlike here, you know, wealthy people have to go too because it's mandatory. And, and a lot of them do go to like the top units, mm -hmm. you know, risk their lives, sure. go to combat, sure. you know. Sure. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really cool thing. Yeah. And, and then kind of going back into your career, we're going to yeah. shift a little bit. But yeah. You were also qualified and you were approved to work as a, as a diplomat for Israel. Yeah, well, it's, that's a little bit complicated. Before I came here, I was, I was trying to make my ways into the foreign ministry of Israel. Yeah. Uh, my, my bachelor's and master's degrees were both international relations, uh, relations mm -hmm. and diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Strangely, I ended up in uh, property management. <laughs> <Real safe. laughs> no connection at all, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there was a time where I thought I'd be going to the Israel foreign ministry. In the end, I ended up coming here instead. No regrets. I'm cool. quite happy about that choice. But to get approved to that position, I mean, that's like 0.2% of people that yeah. apply for that. It's, it's so not easy. It's not easy. What made but, you uh, shift in that career change there? What was the factor? Well, I, I didn't get the exact, it wasn't for the exact position that I wanted. Mm -hmm. It was a, a different part of the, that was the first thing. The, the, you know, the tryouts were very grueling. After a year of going through a lot of, you know, start, we started like, I think 2000 people and ended like 30. But after that whole year, I was kind of burnt out from it. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't offer the position that I wanted. They offered something else. And to be honest, at the time I was already 30. You know, when you get these, if you start working in the foreign ministry, I imagine in any country, but I know for sure in Israel, you know, the tours you get when you start off, you know, there's a whole thing of seniority. Yeah. You're not going straight to Paris or Washington or, or London, yeah, you know, no, you're no, going no. to like, uh, I don't know, Burkina Faso or, uh, you know, Where's or some that? in Africa or <laughs> okay. some, you know, some Liberia or some country with a tiny embassy and like three other staff people and all the other embassies. I didn't see it as sexy as, you know, some people might think of uh, cocktail parties every night in, yeah, the, sure. in the White House yes. or, no, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know. You got to grind your way up. Yeah. And, and just in general, I, I, I don't know. I, I Last minute, I realized that I don't, I don't want to be a civil servant. So then you decided to become a, was it a snowboard instructor? Well, that was, that was before, actually. Oh, was that before? was, yeah, okay. that was before that, yeah. I used to, I used to work so, a few uh, in uh, Stratton. Stratton, yeah, That's yeah. I, wor I worked a few seasons and a few winters in Stratton. The best. Yeah. Huh? What yeah. was that like? Awesome, man. <laughs> Got seven days of riding every day, man. That's for like, amazing. yeah, like if I wanted. Yes. Full, full winter. Yeah. Like it's to the point where you basically, you, you, you know, there's some days that you're like, eh, the snow's not perfect. I'm it's not even going to go out, you know, you get really, really spoiled. Yeah. In terms of snow, but it was, uh, it was a good experience. Yeah. It was really fun times, fun the, times. It's, I, I'm jealous. I, I, if I could do my life over it, yeah. be like, go to Aspen, yeah. like a 21 to 25, you could just mess around in Aspen, yeah. do whatever you got to do to make a little bit of money and just ride every day. Yep. I should have done that, you know? Uh, one one day, if I if I do have kids, I have to tell them. You know, that's the way to live. Oh, it's never too late, man. It's <laughs> never too late. <laughs> I don't know about you. Me you right don't now. need a lot to be happy in a place like that. It doesn't. Life don't. life is cheap. You don't. You know. Yeah. I don't know about, about the money. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not about the fame. It's not about the power. It's just, yeah. You know, riding, it's it's and hanging out with your friends. It's, it's the best. Yep. 
So, you know, I want to deep dive into our topics for today. And, and you have so much experience and so much knowledge and so many stories. I don't know where to start, but just to kind of give our audience what you do here in the city is you, know, you operate and you manage several uh, yeah, so commercial I, space first, right? Yeah, I mean, I op operate a mixed bag of things. Yes, you manage I, several retail spaces in Manhattan. Yeah. I want to talk about that first. Okay. So in the commercial retails landscape, you know, what was the retail landscape like back before COVID? And then what was it like when COVID hit? And then what is and it like what today? is it like now? So let's kind of like go from like 2015, 2019, right. and then that's 2020, and then 20, and then on. Okay. So, I mean, basically, I, you know, I can talk from my own portfolio and my own experience. Sure, yeah. The retail spaces that I manage are pretty much all in the Midtown East area, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, Murray Hill, the Turtle Bay, Lenox Hill a Lenox little bit. Lenox Hill, yeah. Mid like, Midtown East. Know Lenox Hill, but yeah. that's, that's a high Midtown East. Right? Yeah. yeah. So about around Midtown East area, but mainly close to all the office buildings, Third Avenue and up. Pre-COVID, it was a gold mine. Basically, any vacancy up to you know the start of COVID, basically, and again, I'll I'll just you know let you know the kind of spaces, the retail spaces that I operate are not the 20,000 huge, gigantic right. corporate lease kind of places. The places I manage are, are more entry level, you know, five, 600 square foot, you know, ground floor with the same size. It's stores that, you know, people that are starting in or, you know, the Kavas and the Nayas and the, those kind of places, you Nayas. know. Nayas, oh, the yeah, best. Naya, for example, you Love know, they have, there's one, two doors from the building that I manage. Yeah. But anyways, but the, the those spaces before COVID, basically, if I had a retail tenant that was letting me know that they're not going to, they either can't make the, the, you know, can't make the numbers for the lease work or whatever reason may be, and they decided to, you know, forgo the store and give the keys back, we would, you know, post a listing on CoStar, I don't know, a month or two before the planned uh, key give back. And... By the time the tenant was vacating, we had like 10 offers wow. outbidding each other. Okay. Because again, specifically for those, you know, th those kind of stores, there wasn't as, and there still aren't as many as maybe some of the bigger spaces. What do you mean by those kinds? Like, like Naya again? Or yeah, no, but walk just, walk or? yeah, just in terms of like the size, you know, anything under a thousand feet, actually, there's, there's less of them than you would think sometimes or, yeah. And they're usually like faster, it's much faster to make a deal like that than, than on something that's you know that's there's more demand for smaller space retail. because it's more of an entry point for you know let's say immigrants sure. for example okay. first timers or people that have already running operations not in manhattan but want to you know want right. to enter in and start right what you're saying is there's only so many tenants like whole foods or starbucks yeah that want yeah you know i mean 10,000 square feet yeah it, then there's a higher demand for smaller spaces like yeah and, and like i said and, and it's and it's yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of people looking for those kind of spaces mm -hmm. uh, okay. and and again those kind of leases are are easier to you know are easier to carry out than one of these and then what happened in, what happened when covid hit so when covid hit that was you know a, a black swan if uh, if there is any you know yeah. it was really the worst uh, you know and i i've i've only been doing this for 12 years but i you know i spoke my peers and some clients, and they told me not, you know, not subprime uh, crisis in 2008, not oil crisis in the 70s, nothing, maybe a little bit, the oil crisis in the late 70s, but they said nothing compared to anything to what happened, you know, how to bad COVID. COVID hit, especially in the retail, especially in the areas where uh, properties that yeah. I manage. Again, it, these, 
these properties basically they count on the foot you know in order to pay the rent and i would tell this to prospective tenants before COVID as well i would tell them look if you're interested in you know in opening a business in the store be it qsr juice place whatever it is just you have to know you have to make your money monday to friday between 11 and 3. Mm. after that evenings weekends is dead mm. so basically COVID came around and yeah all the you know, before COVID, there was, you know, on every block, there was an average of, I don't know, 10,000 people uh, passing through every day, something like that. And then suddenly zero. So, and of course, you know, as you know, if, if you talk to the owners or, or as, as the manager, you know, you, you can't, you can't get water out of a stone, you no. know, you can't expect them to, to pay the rent. You can't catch fish in the desert. Exactly. You know, so, so it was very, it was very scary at first, very surreal, very scary, and very, very, very harsh. Luckily, the properties that I manage, all the owners for those properties are already like, you know, third generation owners. So none of the properties were leveraged. So it's a bit, it was a bit more like, okay, well, we just want to try and break even and, mm. and stay afloat. I can't even imagine for somebody with a big mortgage what, what to have this going on Jeez, during COVID. Yeah. So yeah, the first... At first, a few, you know, a, a number of, of retail tenants just gave back the keys and walked away, mm-hmm. which is fine. They, they, they could have done that any time, but, sure. but, and I, you know, you got to understand, you got to, everybody's got to do what they got to do. Uh, and of course, the rest of the retail tenants all, you know, called up asking for, you know, heavy discounts, which, you know, the owner had no other choice but to give, because also if, if you don't, at that point, what are you going to do with an empty store? You know, you'd rather... You'd rather get something, even if it's 50% of, of the rent, than, than be, st- at least in 2020, you know, than be stuck with another mm-hmm. vacant store. Mm-hmm. Now, like, let's say the, you know, from summer of 20, June 2020, when really it hit everybody that COVID's here and nobody knew anything, you know, and I had a number of vacant retail spaces. Even back then, we were getting offers, you know, the, the offers never stopped coming in to rent it. Mm-hmm. However, you know, in 2020, you know, you were getting offers at, I don't know, 50 or even sometimes 30% of pre-COVID, you know, pre-COVID prices. What is that on a dollar per square foot basis? I'm not really familiar. We, we don't really do the dollar per square foot for the residential side. Right? Yeah. But I think commercial is always... Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my okay. head, but yeah. I, I would say, I would say, yeah, the, the offers, yeah, the, the offers, yeah, they went down from like, I think pre-COVID it was somewhere around 200. Okay. And and people were offering like something around like 60. Okay. You know, and... Wait, wait, did you have most of your tenants, the the ones that, the properties that you guys manage, did most of the commercial retail tenants vacate or would you say about half stayed on? Uh, no, most, most stay, I'd say maybe a f- 25% vacated completely. Okay. Yeah. The rest stayed on. Obviously, the rest asked yep. for discounts. Each yep. each owner did whatever kind of deal they uh, they could do with you know with tenants. Yep. Some cases, you know, some owners were like, "Look, we'll do 50-50. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. If you want to just try and hold through until the end of COVID or until better times." And and some of them did, and I'm I'm glad they did because now you know things are picking up. Yep. It's, it's getting better again. But yeah, it was it was a big problem because, you know, when when COVID hit. Unlike residential leases, you know, yeah, the retail went down, but the residential too, like I'd say maybe about 20% of all the residential tenants in my buildings also moved out. The ones that didn't, 
and you know this, the ones time. that didn't ask for, ask for like a 25 to 30% uh, discount, which they got, new leases, and you know this, new leases were, were renting at 65% of pre-COVID prices. Mm -hmm. But we took it because, you know, it's a one-year lease. You know, maybe it'll get better, or you'd rather collect something than nothing. And you had tenants also reach out to you because they saw, like, us advertising yeah. for way lower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, look, it's, it's, the market yeah. dictates, you know. Yeah. The market dictates. There's no, there's no going around it. But with the commercial and the, like, a retail lease, you're not looking at a one-year lease. You're looking at a minimum of seven to ten years. Okay. So in 2020, the you know obviously people you know uh, operators, uh, business operators were shopping around trying to get in on the ground floor, and get a cheap rent. But but for a ten-year lease, you know the, the 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 tenants were trying to you know they only saw COVID. The landlords were trying to see the end of COVID. They were to lock you so in. So it was like so it was very yeah. And, and, and you can't you can't I, I, you also you couldn't blame anyone back in yeah, 2020 to, to to be afraid to to, to sign a lease that in two three years they're going to be paying 100%. something close to pre-COVID. Now it makes more sense. Now that things are and they're still not back, but now you know now it makes more sense. But uh, yeah, it was always and and the landlord doesn't want to commit to, you know, yeah, you're going to sign a lowball lease. For 15 but years, in two, three years, years, yeah. Even, years, even if tough. You, yeah, even comparing, even comparing like June of, of 2020 to, to now, like, thank God, you know, thank God the landlord sat tight and, and stuck to his guns because, yeah, and at this point, you know, it, it's very, it's a very hard thing to figure out sometimes is like, how much do you lose on vacancy? compared to what you will collect, hopefully collect later on, you know? Because you would say, look, it, it's sitting vacant, you're still paying property taxes, rent it for whatever you get, you know? But there again, are owners throughout New York City where, I mean, I, I bike, you know this, I bike all over Manhattan, just, it's the best way to see the landscape of the city as a broker. And there are retail spaces that I will, I shall remain nameless, not the ones that you all run and, and manage, but just retail spaces on certain blocks in New York City. and. They've been making for yeah. you know, four years. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I get it that, yes, you don't want to tie someone up under market for 15 years, but at what point does it start to not make sense? Yeah, it's... Uh, six months, fine. Wait for the market to turn, find the right tenant. I get it. But if it's been vacant for four, five, six years, does it make sense yeah. really to keep it vacant for that long where you could have gotten some money? Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I think yeah. it's a, the tough business of commercial retail landscape is finding that medium, and no one can time the market, but at, at what point is a loss too much to bear, That's... and you just tie somebody up for seven years, six years, eight years, and, and make that you know, timeline worth it for, yeah. for that owner operator. That's, that's a million dollar question. The, 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 do, you, do you get tax breaks from the city by keeping retail space, space vacant? Or no, the, the, the city, the city taxes, city like property taxes uh, that landlords get are, are based on the estimated value of the building, not the rent roll. Okay. So they don't care how much money you're bringing in the rent roll. And, and to answer your question, you know, yeah, the city, and I know it's different for different buildings and, and, you know, each, each building goes through a process where you have to, you know, you, you have to submit a tax petition every year. They'll tax you, you'll, you'll hire what's called a sociary uh, lawyer that will for you, even pre-COVID, every year you do this. Okay. Uh, they file for you a tax petition saying, you know, you overpaid and then usually you'll get a discount and you'll pay the lawyer 15% of the, you know, of what you discount. get. Now uh, we do, we, you know, we've been doing it every year and we always do it, but you know, I expected during COVID to get bigger breaks in, in property taxes, but 
Yeah, not really. It's not. Not 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 nothing compared to the loss of income. These asteroid lawyers are they making enough money this year to stay in business? Or? I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, they always they'll always make money. You know? I didn't know that. They so always, if you represent, yeah. let's just say, like one ban- like a big building, like one Vanderbilt, Bornado, and you're an asteroid lawyer for them. Yeah. The the tax that they pay is probably in the millions. Yeah. Per year. Yeah. I I, I don't know how it works for like so these high rises or they're pretty or, good business. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, lawyers, you know, fifteen percent off a million bucks or something that they. If can that's save. what, the, if that's what, the, if that's what the savings are, yeah. <laughs> but it's work. it's work. It's work. Mm. You got to be, you know, you try dealing with the uh, Department of uh, oh, Finance and Taxation. We'll see. Uh, it's you know, it's not it's not easy. I'd rather if wait. If it was easy, everybody world. would be doing it. You know, but uh, yeah. Now, but speaking of of today mm. in today's year, you know, we spoke privately about this, and it's been a trend, I guess, in the last two years. But these days on the retail landscape, you're getting approached mostly or more than ever by weed companies and vape stores. And what what do you think that is? As as a manager and operator, you know, do you do you want to also the second part? Do you want to avoid having too many? Let's just say you take one, fine. But isn't it a conflict of interest if you have let's just say five vacancies and they're all vape stores and weed stores? Like, what is it about these? You know. Meat stores, vape stores. What is it? And, and also, like, how do you manage that? Like, how do you, how do you try to diversify the risk? Right. So I, I really have. I mean, other than what everybody knows, you know, I really don't know where suddenly they, they all popped out of. You know, obviously, I was making money. I, I, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know what happened. Like in the last eighteen to, to eighteen months to two years, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I know that we're going through the whole decriminalization process, but, sure. but suddenly it went from you know it being illegal to like the entire city reeks of weed. Yeah. There's every and there's from every level of you know if you if you walk down to Washington Square Park, you'll see like ten guys with uh, ten people sitting on a table selling you know out in the street oh really oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. everywhere in front of grants all over uh-huh. people have like little booths where they do it just i don't even know if they're licensed or not then there's like smoke shops exotic shops dispensaries every shape and form i don't really understand uh i mean i i, I could imagine because it's probably high you know high money in it and it's sort of you know look the, look the other way now do they all the ones that approach you do they all have legitimate licenses to sell marijuana well, that's the. Well, you don't know. I, you know, they say they do. They I mean, and for, first of all, I advise. I don't feel. I don't feel comfortable, and I prefer. It's tempting because they come with cash. They offer. They have money. Listing price. They have. They have established businesses. Maybe sometimes it's. It could be a lot of other like uh, just regular vape stores. You know, like they had before. You know, before the green rush. Uh, souvenir stores little bodegas stuff like that and and a lot of these people they come up they have a lot of cash they have you know they have a track record of running businesses i personally try to avoid advise all my clients to avoid to sign any leases with these operators not because you know not because i think they're not going to pay or because they're big criminals i tend to think there's probably going to be some shakedown at some point soon by the city i, I already read that they're you know proposing a little bit of yeah there's some there's some laws proposed which will actually go after the landlord they've been submitted not approved yet but at this point i, I would say it's a risky but tempting but but risky, risky yeah. I, I would avoid it but it's yeah i don't know what happened and and again especially for the types of stores that that i have you know that are smaller you know, no, no, no dispensary is looking to rent a ten thousand square foot. No, no, you know? no. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, they're, they're all looking. Whole foods. No, yeah. they're all looking for small spaces, and 
and in a sense, it's it, in an ideal world, it's, it's, it can be a, a great tenant because there's no cooking. He doesn't have to touch the gas lines. Sure. He doesn't dry right. goods, everything. There's no you know. chimney that goes yeah. up to the back of the building. Yeah, you know, no vent. No, you know, so, so in a sense, you're saying, oh, this no is... No liquor license. Yeah. Did. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and to go back to your questions about the license, I, it's a tough question to answer because, I, you know, I did, when I started getting these offers, like I said, I don't, I don't take them, but I looked into it a little bit and tried to understand, you know, the whole playing field. And it seemed, it seemed to me at the time that there, again, there's a lot of loopholes in these things, you know, but I think there was one loophole of you're allowed to, you can apply for a license. I don't know if you're allowed to sell while you're, while it's pending while in the application, pending, but yeah. I think a lot more people, I know, I think New York State's going to issue 230 for the entire state. Okay. I think 230 licenses, but that's what there I read. There seems to be a lot more than 230 yeah. stores. I think I read last week that there's like 1,500 in, in, in New York City alone. Yeah, okay. And, and wow. I, I feel like there's 230 more. Uh, 1,500 sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Even even walking around my neighborhood in Brooklyn, I, I, it feels like they're 230 right, on the, right in my neighborhood. You know, yeah. it's, it's insane. Every... And, and you don't have to ask me as a real estate person. It's enough for you to walk around the street and to be know. like, what the hell is going on? Why is everybody... I think it's a case where it's like, you know, it's a green rush. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to money. make some quick money. Make really quick money. Real quick money. I think, you know, some landlords, the landlords that do choose to go for these kind of leases, I think a lot of them think it's a way for them just to plug a hole Short for the time being. Mm -hmm. So you don't, uh, think until, all, you don't think they're all on 10-year leases? They're probably on a... No three-year cycle or four-year cycle? Well, it's, I'll tell you, it's in, in general, it's hard to make such a short-term lease for any commercial space because they'll be putting in money into renovation. You know, if you're, if you're pouring a hundred grand and anything you do is at least, even for a 500 square foot, you're putting in at least a minimum a hundred grand mm. between the permits and this and then, you know, and nobody's going to want to put in a hundred grand knowing that they only have three years there. Mm -hmm. So I'd say more five to seven year, but yeah, short-term leases, but also, yeah, like, like I said, a lot, I think a lot of them also realizing that it may not last for as long as the entire lease, you know, and again, this isn't to say I'm, I'm sure some of these people that are waiting for a license to come in may, may end up getting it and will be legit. And, you know, but I'm sure not all of them will, cause there's just so many. I'm everywhere. not, I'm not a huge weed guy yeah. and I, you know, no, no, nothing against people that smoke weed, you know. I don't know, Danielle, if you are a weed person, I don't think you are. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Danielle is at all. Nothing against people that smoke weed or anything. You know, I, edibles and stuff sometimes. But one good thing, I think, there's a stretch along the Lancy leading up to the Williamsburg Bridge. Yeah. It's trash. Yeah. Like the north side of the Lancy. It's, it's dumpy. It's dirty. Yeah. The only clean store are the weed stores. Is this on the Brooklyn side or on the city side? On the city side, the city side. north side of Delancey. Yeah. So I was like, all right, so one benefit, hmm. another, another example, the, the block between West Broadway or Amsterdam and West, West 70 and 71 on the west side of Amsterdam is trashy, right? But the one like clean store, well-lit, yeah. organized are the weed stores yeah. or the vape stores or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what they're selling. I think they're selling both. I'm not sure. But yeah. So like that's the one benefit is at least it's lit and clean. It's not, it's not covered in graffiti. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's, it looks like a tightly run ship. It almost looks like a, like a lower end Rolex store. Yeah. I also find that a lot of them, uh, you know, I got some offers and when you get offers, you, you also usually you ask for a list of, you know, existing businesses sure. that you can go and Perfect. check. So I got, I got, suddenly I get like a list of 15, 15 locations uh -huh. and I went canvassing one, one offer that came in. I went to canvas kind of a Times Square West area. 
On 9th Avenue? Yeah, 8th, 9th, okay. 7th. 8th is very corporate. 9th gets like Hell's Kitchen. Right? Yeah, it's, no, it's so nice, I'd, say, I'd say it was more like, I'd say it was more like probably 7th Broadway, okay. you know, oh. and I, I, and I'm like, okay, I got a list of 15 locations. I thought it was going to take me the whole day. But literally, there was like one across from the other, across from the other. It was all like, so I get the feeling that there's a few serious operators. Yeah. I also noticed that a lot of the people that, that reach out for, you know, these kind of businesses, I don't know why, but there seems to be a lot of Yem, Yemenis. Oh, Yemenis. Yemen, yeah, Yemen Ooh. people in it for some reason. And I found that I also seemed, uh, you know, there seems to be a correlation between those stores and like, gift shops and uh, just vape shops yeah oh, a lot of these like souvenir gift shops just experienced commercial operators retail operators yeah, that know what that they're they, doing no construction know the guys yeah how they know how to they know how to set up a business they right. realize okay we can get you know the product from there's enough people to, to move product around they're probably not the, even the margins are the yeah the margins are great it's a great you know it's a, it's, a, it's a cash cow yeah that's so that's you know so i, I uh, yeah I, I feel like it's I, you know, I, I get the feeling it's going to be short-lived, this whole green boom. And, and full disclosure, I was really excited and, and, and waiting for, you know, uh, decriminalization and legalization sure. in New York City. But I, I, it's, a bit, it's a bit too much in your face now, sure. you know, I, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel honestly. I and this is as a, you know, big supporter of the whole, the whole trend, but, but ah. it's, it's a bit too much. And I'll tell you more, especially you were asking about, you know, in terms of the locations themselves. I, I think when they start clamping down, they're going to start by doing it in uh, buildings where there's stores next to schools. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest, because sure. the biggest School concern world, at this yeah. point is, is the kids, you know, 100%. as it was with a vape, sure. uh, with the regular vape. So yeah. I think, I think sure. that's where we're going to start cracking down, but. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. One of the things I learned uh, from these weed stores asking around is the vapes that they sell, you, legally during school hours, they have to be fogged. Did you know that? There's like no. a glass fog yeah. that turns on. Oh, really? They have to turn those on because they can't sell during the day. Really? These kids come in and try to buy them. But yeah. anyways, I'm, yeah. I'm sure this, I'm, this yeah. city's, city's trying to find every way to clamp down yeah. on something. And, 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 yeah. and usually, for the, you know, usually, hopefully, for the better. Yeah. Uh, just, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so we're going to switch gears here. But sure. Let's talk residential. Yeah. You know, you do, we did a lot of commercial talk. You, you have so much experience in that. But also on the residential side, there's a lot of challenges that we are always battling with. So on the residential landscape, I want to talk about the free market rentals and the rental buildings that you manage. But also, you also manage co-op and condo buildings as well. So that's well, also I, I not not anymore. I did uh, in the past. Did, yeah. At this past. point, my, my portfolio so, is only uh, rental buildings. Mixed, you guys uh, retail. So but let's I, talk but about I did, the rental buildings first. Yeah, right? I, but I can talk. I we'll mean, talk I did co I did co-ops condos for about eight eight or nine years. Sure. So I still remember a little so, bit. So a lot of you know, residential real estate is probably more angry than commercial i think because it's it's more personal for a lot of people mm -hmm. and right now this is the summertime a lot of people are coming in we deal with it representing you know the properties that you guys manage but also whether it's new york times or reddit or new york post there's always like well why does somebody why is it so hard to find housing in new york city and i get it it's expensive brokers a lot of them in my industry are maybe not the most professional or or whatever. There's a lot of reasons. Give me your, you know, why is the the 40 times is, I was reading Reddit this morning on uh, New York City apartments or New York City living. It's like people don't understand why the 40 times, the 80 times is a thing. What does that rule mean, and how how is it important, or why is it important to you? Um, well, the 40 the 40 times uh, monthly rent and annual income is is I guess it's a quick way to kind of say that you have 
you know, after taxes, after, you know, average spending, you have still, after paying your rent, you still have half of your, half of your income disposable. Okay. That's, that's kind of the formula. So a third of your income should not, more than a third should not be going towards your rent. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so people are so angry that why do I have to make so much money to rent this apartment? Well, it's not really that much money. No, it's saying. not. If you, and, and again, after taxes, you know, if you think of, if you think of, let's say, a studio for, for let's say, two grand a month, uh -huh. and the person has to make, you know, so times, he has to, has to make 80 grand, but they're not taking home 80 grand. You no. know, they're, they're taking home whatever, 60 or yeah, whatever, it, whatever it may be. You know, that's 24 grand. Uh, uh, yearly rent is 24,000, you know. You, have, you take home 60. It's about a third, it's about a third of your, your income should be going to rent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's an interesting. So why is it 80x then for guarantors? What for? Why is it a, uh, 80 for guarantors? Why is it 80 the requirement for guarantors? Then? That's a good question. I mean, I'm assuming it's because they're adults and they have maybe a mortgage to pay. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's that's always something you you look when you when you're doing the uh, when you do the credit report and the and and doing the under all the underwriting. It does help when you see a guarantor and you see they have a mortgage, you know, they have something tangible and, you know, they'll be a little more, uh, maybe feel a little more motivated to help out if, if, if needed, um, if it gets to court. Yeah, I think it's basically because guarantors also, yeah, sometimes it's the parents. Yeah. But sometimes it's also a friend or, it's you like know, it's, uncle, it's just a whole nother, and it's a whole nother level. So they want to, you know, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure exactly, but I, I, it's basically to say, look, if you can't afford it and your guarantor can barely afford it, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a risk I want to take. You know? Yeah. The, now, when it comes to the city we talked about earlier and the, and the, the whole politics of running a residential real estate business, you know, what are, the what are the challenges of dealing with the DOB and EPA and the FDNY and, uh, well, first of all, let's just start with DOB. I mean, you said there it's very challenging. I mean, what, what makes it challenging and, you know, what do you have to deal with as um, someone on the other end of the well, real estate world? First of all, sometimes it's even just understanding what they want from you, you know. <laughs> Uh, especially, especially, and I find this, and you know, especially I find this with the FDNY. Some of their violations, you need to get even expediters you hire, and and engineers, and and architects, and whoever. You, even they don't always why understand the violations. What does that even mean? What is an expediter? They expedite the process. Well, no, they. Well, I'll tell you what expediters, and I always use expediters for everything, uh, because if you go yourself to the DOB, it's two eighty broad, two eighty Broadway. Broadway. Yeah. To get, and it depends what kind of help you need or what you're trying to do at the DOB. It's like the DMV, you get a ticket, right? And you wait. It's like the DMV on steroids, man. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> it's like, and this is not to talk bad about anybody there. What I does that mean, DMV on steroids? It means it's that not as busy as the DMV. No, but you can you can certainly get some attitude sometimes oh, sure, when you sure, go sure. down there. Yeah, and yeah. if you don't, and the other reason to hire an expediter is, you know, they they know all these forms and know. Uh, where to, which box to check and what to answer here and what to answer there. And sometimes if you try to do it yourself because of like, because of the, how clumsy and how much bureaucracy and, and details you have to have on some of these forms, it's better to have one of them do it because, you know, it's very easy for me to just check the wrong box. Uh, and and then, then you're all the way back in the, in the back of the line. And especially when it's something that's pending, you need, you know, sometimes you'll need the, you know, yeah, if it's something just like, you know, a regular thing, fine. But sometimes suddenly you get, there's a gas leak, you get your boiler shut down, you know, there's no heat. It could be, you know, the, the peak of February. 
There's no, no gas for the heater, no gas for cooking, you know, no hot water. And in terms of the work, the plumber can come and fix it in, in, two, in one day. Yeah. But in order for him to do that, you first got to file for the permits with the DOB. They got to come, they inspect, they this and that. And also, especially with gas shutoffs, they take that as an opportunity. They'll come to the building and they'll go into the basement and they'll see, they'll see your gas lines, but then they'll see like, oh, there's something that wasn't, was never uh, filed for, this water heater. Mm. That, that shouldn't be there. Okay, well, if you want to improve your gas lines, you have to, take a, you have to do something about the water heater or this or that. There's no, they, take, they take gas shutoffs as an opportunity to bring everything up to code. Uh-huh which means more filing, which means more time, which means more, you know, so it's very, and, and again, not to speak bad about anybody, but some of these, like, uh, some of these case examiners at the DOB are not, you would think they're, they should be experts, but they really don't always even understand what they're looking at, you know, okay. sometimes, it depends on the luck of the draw. But uh, yeah, it could be it could be extremely frustrating when you're trying to get things done, uh, especially if you're under like time pressure. Time pressure. Yeah. No, we deal with a lot of townhouse sales in Brooklyn, and mm. and and it seems like maybe half or maybe more than half of the inventory brokers don't even know, but the townhouses have open permits. Yeah. What is what exactly is an open permit, and how hard are they to close? It uh, depends on the work, depends, yeah. on the, depends on the situation itself. Uh, basically, just say is, general wiring or general electric or uh, ge I think the, general wi wiring yeah, is one that's they, common. They shouldn't be hard to close. It's basically whoever the electrician, you know, the electrician that did the work had to, you know, file and open a permit before mm -hmm. doing the work. And this is something that a lot of people forget, you know, is, you know, the work is done and everything and you think, yeah, you can move everything <laughs> and you can. Yeah. But still, there's a record of a, of, a, of a permit that's still sitting open, you know. It has to be closed. And it has to be closed. And if you forget it, you forget about it, and, you know, a long time goes by, sometimes it's hard to go back and remember what it is and find the person that opened it. And, you know, so it's always a good idea that there's two sides to every, per, you know, every permit, to open and close it. What can be um, done with these agencies to make your job somewhat easier or maybe less costly? I mean, is there a way... I like I said I, I hire reason, right? yeah no no they, they, they're, 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 of course they have they have they to be there purpose. absolutely this is a city with you know eight million people living Local here all eleven work needs to get done they got bricks falling there the there's 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 a reason for everything and every time also we, we keep getting these you know one other thing about DOB FDNY DP all all these agencies you're constantly getting new regulations and new guidelines to follow mm -hmm. and you know it. it we say in Israel, it doesn't sound as good in English, but you say in, in Israel, you say, you know, uh, safety regulations are written in blood, you know. Oh. Basically, every time there's a fire, every time something happens. East Village explosion. Now, there's local law, I think it's local law 52. Every five years, we have to do gas inspections to the, to the building. Every, which, everyone. Every apartment, every apartment, every line, they got to test for gas leaks. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Basically, not, they don't go into every single pub, but by the meters, they come and do like a pr pretty thorough mm -hmm. uh, testing of the, uh, of the gas lines. And yeah, they're basically, they're trying, they want, the DOB wants, want all the landlords in New York City to, repipe their buildings yeah. you know it's obviously not what all the landlords want because it's very expensive and and a costly process but i'll yeah i'll give you an example with DOB. we're speaking linking it to like uh you know retail uh retail leases that we're doing now and because it got even worse it was always bad but it got even worse with covid 
So now, for example, if you're signing a lease with like a, you know, a QSR, you know, a, a, a quick, uh, quick service restaurant, you know, like, okay. like a, you know, like a like fast a food, yeah, walk to walk, something like Naya. that, yeah, Naya, whatever, one of these places. You know, Love that. we we used to we used to give you know you give in a, in a in a retail lease you you know it's customary to give some concession time some free rent a few sure, months a of months free rent yeah you're putting in a hundred grand yeah and you're not going to open right away you you need time to renovate you yeah. need time you know and and it used the standard used to be depending on the tenant depending on security depending on many things but it used to be three to four months you know now and especially if they ha if they have to touch any gas lines you know the DOB is so much slower especially since COVID and in, in, in getting applications approved and you know and, and going through the process that we actually you know nowadays you actually end up giving in some cases five six months and it's kind of becoming the standard you know oh my goodness yeah, yeah it's especially if the gas lines are, are involved you just have yeah. to give more concern because the dob is working slower since COVID, everybody's working slower is that why some I, i've seen you know like gallery house back in the day 77 was 55th street it's one of the units we have we have listings in that building and mm. I remember there was a small fire in downstairs laundry area. I think it's the laundry's gas-powered machines. And the building literally had gas for almost, no gas for almost a year and a half. Yeah, I've, have, I've had that in a bunch of buildings, it man. It takes a year and a half, well, one again, single thing. And that's, and that, that's frustrating. That's right? a classic example of, of the DOB coming in and saying, you know, oh, you know, I'm sure the gas, the gas itself doesn't take a year and a half. That's, yeah. it's, it's simple piping. Yeah, sometimes you got to tear, you know, you got to cut out the sheetrock and replace it. But I'm sure it was a case of, you know, oh, there's this and this and this other items that are, oh, we found now in the basement. Now that we're in the basement. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm telling you, they take Water it in. Water boiler, this and, and that. Look, like, like I said, in the end, look, it's fine. that they're, they're, they, they, you know, the, these, these agencies are there for a reason. What they do is important. And sometimes, sometimes it's frustrating because sometimes it is the luck of the draw on what who's the person helping you or how motivated the inspector is yeah. or what, what side of the bed he woke up that morning. You know, it comes down to that. You know, yeah. sometimes they'll pass you. Sometimes they'll be, you know, they'll be very uh, nitpicky and, sure. and in a bad mood and, and find things to, to write you up on, you know. So that, that's also a bit of a look. And, and they're very understaffed, I think. Also, ah. there's not enough inspectors. There's not enough case examiners. Overworked, underpaid, classic. Yeah. yeah it's a yeah. classic. So we have too many real estate brokers in an industry. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe. go work over there, right? Go, go, go work at DOB. Now, yeah. speaking of written in blood, right? Uh, you, you said the rules were written in blood. Safety regulations. Safety regulations are written in blood. Okay, so I guess this is not a safety issue, but this perhaps might as well be written in blood. Are rent control and rent stabilization uh, matters in New York City? I want to know what side you're on with this topic. You personally operate and manage these rent controlled rent stabilized apartments. Yeah. So let's just group I'm not I'm not trying to separate those two items. I want to group them together. What are what side are you on? What are your thoughts on them? And and what should be in your ideal world, how should these properties be operated and managed? Yeah. Um so in general I have I have a number I'm lucky enough that my all my stabilized apartments are already like cap rate is already above market value. Oh, so cool. I don't, I have very few of these like old timers, you know, 
somebody that's living 60 years in an apartment and paying like six, seven hundred dollars, you know. So I, I don't have much of that. But there's some classic stories in New York City with that, right? You got Apthorpe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Apthorpe is the classic one on West 79th Street. Yeah. You know, you have apartments that trade for $10 million. Yeah. And the same apartment name next door, then the grandma's paying $600 yeah. a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it, in general, I'm not, it's not that I'm against uh, any form of, uh, you know, protecting those who need protected and, uh, and affordable housing sure. in, in all shapes and form. Mm -hmm. Uh, the thing about specifically about rent stabilization is one problem I have with it is, is first of all, it's not, you know, it's, it, you, you don't have to qualify for it. You don't have to be from a certain, like if it was just for poor or people, you know, from the lowest socioeconomic, uh, strata that, that great, you know, they deserve a chance to live in the city as well. But here, you know, basically it's whoever's lucky enough to get one, you know, and they don't have to, you don't have to, they don't have to show you income, they don't have to show you anything. So sometimes, you know, a person that doesn't really need to, you know, doesn't really deserve it, this, you know, um, but in general, uh, you know. Do you get tax breaks for operating uh, rent control no, properties? No. So here, here's what I don't understand, right? The city has an issue with, for, for, for a landlord, you have issues with, Increased taxes every year. Yeah, you have increased regulations that we just talked about. Yeah, you have to pay for expediters and yeah. contractors, and you have to pay for. I guess there's fines. You have to pay to close out and open permits. Yeah, and those costs aren't probably going down. In fact, they're probably going up every year. You're yeah. paying DOB thousands and thousands of dollars per building mm -hmm. every year, but then you have this fixed uh, fixed income situation where the these rent control rent stabilized rent rent control rent stabilized tenants don't pay these increased costs mm -hmm. to correlate the rise in taxes and the rise in operating costs and rise in insurance and water whatever yeah. it is they, so how is it possible for owners to operate these buildings that are let's just say pre-war five floors six floors walk-ups with one commercial space that have a couple of stabilized apartments in them it's very difficult. I mean, wow. it's it's very very difficult. Because and then, let's not talk about related. Yeah. Let's not talk about Ogden Cap properties, or let's not talk about BLDG management. I mean, these guys are landlords. They're yeah. they own thousands of thousands of square feet of yeah. residential commercial space, right? Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of square feet. So their returns are probably a little different. Yeah. But let's just say it's a smaller, one person yeah. owns or a family. Owns a, or, let's just yeah. say one. Yeah, let's just say one. Let's just say uh, John Smith owns, you know, one, two, three, Third Avenue, five floors, walk up commercial, one apartment. Yeah. Maybe his parents owned it back in the day. It's worth yeah. five million dollars now if they sold it. But yeah. there's three stabilized units out of six apartments. Like how? And then there's there's less income coming in on the retail side, right? So how does that mom and pop landlord? operate under the guidance of today's laws yeah i mean there is there there should be it's i imagine the the department of taxation does have it in their records that some of the apartments are you know and they'll know that some of them are potentially bringing in low so maybe some of the taxes are already built set in. built in yeah you know but but like you're saying for a long long time and especially since 2019 when the new laws came in you know the the, the increase of a renewal was zero you know yeah. Zero. They just changed it uh, recently. Now it's for one year. It's three twenty-five, three three percent point twenty-five, and okay. in two years five percent. Since I think it's April of twenty twenty-one, because of inflation, you know, back then you had seven uh, percent inflation. They had to kind of do something, you know, to straighten out the line. But again, going back to the, you know, it was always hard, but it got that much harder since the new laws that were introduced in 2019 yeah. to a point like i said i don't have that issue thank goodness but i speaking to peers and some colleagues 
it's to a point where in some cases, uh, if a long, you know, a long-term uh, stabilized tenant moves out, uh, vacates the apartment, in some cases, it's, you know, it's more worth it for the landlord to keep it empty than mm -hmm. it is to fix it up and rent it out, actually. Right. So let's go back real quick on that. Uh, you mentioned, you know, I think we mentioned this capital improvement max is 15000 yeah. And the max increase is $89. Yeah. It, it used to be you could invest up to forty grand. No, the, the formula, I, uh, as far as I recall, the formula before, before the new rules came out, the return you would get on improvements, and there's a list of improvements. It's not like anything you want to do. Anything it's, you do it's with it. It's like kitchen, bathroom, floor. It's basically, yeah, heating. kitchen, bathroom, electricity, but like something like painting doesn't, isn't included. Yep, uh, sanding the floors yep. isn't it? a real like renovation project. It used to be that you would get whatever you would spend, you could get back uh, a fortieth of that. Fortieth of that. Okay. Yeah. So, let's say if you spend a if you spend forty grand, you can you can raise the rent by a thousand dollars. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. Since twenty nineteen, I think this is the biggest obstacle, and this is just a really ridiculous ruling by uh, you know by the rent stabilization. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's really bizarre, but uh, right now you can only spend up to 15, you're capped at 50, you're only getting back if you spend, uh, you're only getting back for $15,000 that you spend every, I think it's 10 years. And instead of getting one, uh, uh, one 40th of the, you're getting one divided by 168, which is roughly half a percent. Half a percent. So like you said, if I go to the max and spend, you know, as much as I can, as much as I'll get back for, I spend 15 grand, I can only raise the lease by $89. Okay. So that would, if you do the math, that would take, what, 15 plus years, 20 years to get your money back. And by that time, you're going to have to redo the whole apartment again. And, and technically, you're also supposed to give that money. You're, you're, I think you're supposed to give that money back in, in a way. That's what, that's what one of my colleagues told me. I don't understand exactly okay. how that works. Okay. But yeah, basically, it's the point where it's simply not... Because also, a lot of times, you know, the, these apartments, the ones that get vacant after having some old-timer live there for, for 60 years or 50 years or as long as they're living there, you know, you're talking about a gut renovation. You know, you got to rip out the floors, new entire, you know, kitchen, bathroom, everything. You know, you're looking at minimum, mini, for studio apartment, you're looking at a minimum of, in, in this day and age with prices, you're looking at a minimum of 40, 50K. Okay. Easy, easy. Yeah. To completely to, complete, to not, make it habitable. I'm not, not saying talking, to make it fancy. Yeah. To make it habitable. This is not a high end. No, finish. this is just to make it livable. Oh my god. So goodness. you know, you show me the landlord that's gonna want to spend fifty K to get back eighty nine dollars a month. So what is the landlord's option? You know, again, the some of them are just basically, you know, leaving them empty yeah. for the time being. Leaving and and, and that, that, to, to add on that lowering the amount of apartments available does increase to everyone. the yeah. cost Absolutely. to the rest of New York Absolutely. City. Absolutely. If a million units are stabilized and then let's just say they all get vacated yeah. and they don't come on the market, yeah. well, it's, does, it doesn't change the lack of housing yeah. option, does it? It actually just increases rents on the other apartments. And to make things worse, this, these, these rule changes, they all came out like right before COVID. Yeah. You know, all the landlords have a very serious cash flow problem at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they wanted to, you know, out of the kindness of their heart to make it habitable and, uh, and, and, and lose money on it, sure. you just, you don't have, you know, you don't have the funds, you know. Not, and, and, not to mention also, this is kind of going off topic, but SVP and SVB and yeah. a lot of these smaller banks, I'm not talking SVB in general, but 
a lot of these smaller private banks are the banks that do loans for these types of buildings, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily always Wells Chase, Bank of America, that did that or citizens that that refinance or give loans on these properties. It's the local smaller banks that give yeah. these. Yeah. So if by them also going down or not doing as much business also further hurts the landlord of other options. What bank, small bank, wants to refi on a building that has six units, three of them are stabilized, yeah. maybe a fourth one that's just vacant, not getting income. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lose, yeah. lose proposition, yeah, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, in general, even before the rule changes, I always had a bit of an issue with statement. Not, not only because I represent landlords, you mm -hmm. know, and, and you know, my, my interest is for them to bring in as much as possible, but I, I honestly do not think the system is serving, you know, is, is, is beneficial to this to the city tenants as a sure, whole sure. You know, i think i think exactly what you were saying it actually takes out uh it takes out apartments from inventory yeah. and makes everything else much more expensive this is such an interesting topic that i could talk for another hour yeah or two i know we can make I a know, podcast just on just, uh, just on that, on that I'm you, yeah, yeah and, and and it's such a such an in-depth angry topic too, because people are so angry about rent control rent stabilization right. taking advantage of the people yeah. the politicians are for the people that's but the that's why they do people. it that's why they do it and it's, it's just it's, it's popularity when the when the polls come around you know when voting comes angry. around it's it's it makes it makes for you know popular candidates yeah that's right know? and if any of your the listeners are interested in listening more about other sides of the argument or other parts of this topic you know uh I, i've had james nelson before he's been on the podcast he's great he has a great opinion about it bob nacko obviously he sells hundreds of multifamily buildings mm. he's he's talked about it in depth and i have other um, operators and managers at compass also that uh you know talk about it so uh, it's very it's a very interesting topic uh that uh, perhaps i'll uh, you know have to re revisit again on another episode in the future but because we are running out of time i do want to finish off with some uh your stories, funny experiences. And I know you had an update on, a, on an interesting story where you, a co-op or a condo that you managed downtown somewhere where the owner or the shareholder had a girlfriend or a jealous ex-girlfriend that came back, uh, potentially could have killed a lot of people, but burned the, his apartment down and then she left the country. You know, and then you had to deal with the aftermath. Yeah. <laughs> of all people, you had to deal with the aftermath. Uh, you know, can you give me a little bit about that story? And yeah, this was this was that? a long time ago. This is at a, was was it a building downtown, which I I don't manage any. I haven't managed for years. But uh, just to make a long story short, there was uh, yeah, there was one of the one of the owners uh, of one of the penthouses had, I guess what you would call a lovers' quarrel of some sort a with the, yeah with, with his uh, with his yeah significant other. Um, basically he was out in dinner. She came to the building on a Saturday night. She had the code for the front door to his apartment, Oof. came in, wow. started with, you know, trashing the place with, uh, breaking the TV and, and slashing the sofas and the oh. pictures. And you know, that was on the, on the ground floor. Oh boy. And then, uh, you know, to top things off, she went out to the second floor, opened up the patio door, grabbed a huge pile of his clothing, threw it on the deck that's some flammable compound made oh, out of, I don't know patio. what, the on the patio, on the patio okay. deck. This is not a doused balcony, it. but it's like a deck. It's a patio, deck. yeah. Okay. Yeah, doused it with lighter fluid, lit a match. Next thing I know, my phone's a Saturday night, I'm trying to do a grill, you know, I'm trying to do a barbecue at my friend's place, and suddenly my phone starts ringing off the hook, you gotta come, building's on fire, business. I'm like, okay, oh shit, you know, oh get in a cab, get there. Basically, and I don't know what happened after she, she lit it, I don't know if she 
realized how you know quickly uh, the situation is uh, you know getting out of control. Yeah. But basically, you know, she ran out the building completely. She was like, oh shit! Yeah, oh I made shit! A mistake. Yeah, ran ran away. Um, yeah, obviously the neighbors. It was all over the news and stuff. The neighbor. It was a huge fire. Uh, the so neighbors. You were there, the fire department was there. I, I got there. Now the the fire itself consumed about two and a half apartments on the penthouse level. Oh, oh thank goodness! It wasn't yeah, but the I don't know ten thousand gallons of water that the FDNY used to pull so it, basically it, it spilled all the way five floors down. Oh. Condemned, I would say about sixty five percent of the units as an, an uninhabitable. For the entire building. Oh my goodness! Uh, insurance claim that is, uh, as far as I know, may still be going on until this day. Uh, really, like in were millions they home? of dollars. Were other residents home at the time? Yeah, was, a lot of them were, which is you know oh. that's the most you know messed up uh, part of the story that could have could have killed. Now I I don't think this person had an intention to burn sure. down the building. Just of something course. that went out of control yeah. in, a, in the heat of the moment. Evil intentions, uh, but not to kill the whole yeah. building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, she wanted to punish the you know her disgruntled. The, the, she was disgruntled ex, ex yeah, or whatever, you know, and okay, you know, but yeah, she could have killed someone. But uh, anyways, it was, it, it literally made my, my uh, work life uh, a living nightmare for the following two years, dealing oh. with the insurance payout and the contractors and, and the adjusters. And the, you had to, I got subpoenaed by the, now the thing is, the person that did it, the, uh, you know, the arsonist, uh, the girl, the girl yeah, got on a plane, the, I guess, figured, realized that, She's in trouble. Got on a plane the next day. Left the country. Uh, I, in the meantime, got I got subpoenaed to uh, you know by the, the, the you know the district attorney to come and test. I had to come and testify in, in absence in her absence. Um, I had to show. I had these. I had all the you know surveillance video of her coming out of the building. You know all the all the details. I had to talk a little bit about how much damage it caused, how much money the insurance payout is, this, that, the other. And, uh, you know, and, and at the time I was like, okay, she got, uh, you know, she, she got trialed in absence. I guess she got a, uh, she was con convicted as guilty and there was warrant. A, war a warrant out. And I remember I was speaking to the, uh, you know, the ADA at the time, the assistant district attorney. And I was like, okay, great. Well, you know, it sucks for this person. They'll probably never come back to the, you know, I'd say this never, you know, it doesn't mean anything. They're not, they're probably never going to get caught. And she's like, well, we're going to try extradition. And I was like, yeah, good luck. You know, I, I, I don't ever see that happening. What country and did she, do you, do you know I don't know. I don't know which country. Okay. She wasn't she wasn't American, but okay. I'm not sure which country. But uh, but the ADA told me at the time, you know, listen, you know, usually people like this, they'll they'll a lot of times they'll get caught because they'll, you know, five, 10 years will pass. They won't hear anything. And then they, they come back to the U.S. The second they come back in passport control, their name comes up, they get grabbed. Ah. I was like, okay, whatever. You know, yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't give it any more thought. Uh, and again, this, this specific incident made my life a huge nightmare. But, you know, it is what it is. And basically, I, you know, after all was cleared and, and uh, the building was fixed. And like I said, I think, I think, but yeah, basically, I forgot all about it. I, I stopped managing that building years ago. And six months ago, I, out of the blue, I get a call. I get a call from some unknown number. I pick it up, and he's like, "Hey, this is so and so from the district attorney's office. I just want to touch base. I know you testified uh, five, six years ago in this and this case. I just want you to know the the person was caught in I don't know, I think Argentina or Colombia, <laughs> and uh, is going to be extradited. And you should expect uh, you should expect another subpoena and to, you have to, to come, come again. Yeah, <laughs> like I really don't want. Yeah, it's like the last thing I want to do." I was like, do I have to? It's no, I, 
I'm not, and I'm not even the manager of the building yeah, anymore. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. still I, I don't even work for that company oh anymore. But it's still following me. And, uh, That's so funny. Yeah. I'm, so I'm just uh, you know, moral of the story is, uh, boys and girls, you know, actions have reactions. Even when you're really pissed and and really annoyed at. You got to think think twice before you do things. Cause don't, it's, yeah, uh, you don't want to mess with fire, eh? Yeah. Especially in New York City. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. If, if you if you have a bad breakup, you know, yeah. kind of move on, <laughs> I guess, is the, is the life lesson, right? Yeah. Instead of yeah. Uh, go I, to jail. I, look, I honestly, I, 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 as much as, you know, this incident and this girl made my life, like I said, a living hell for like two years dealing with the aftermath of the whole thing, I, I still kind of feel bad for this person. You know, she didn't. <sighs> I'm sure she didn't mean to, you know, didn't mean to burn down the building. You know, that's why I, 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 I hope I don't get called because I, I just don't want anything to do with it anymore. You know, I, like I said, it was a moment of a moment of passion can can lead to uh, very very dire uh, consequences. Yeah, when yeah. you're in the residential business, like we are, yeah. we deal with a lot. We deal with happy things. We deal with promotion they got i'm moving out because i can afford a bigger apartment like we deal with great things we deal with uh you know babies we deal with marriages we deal with you know people that you know got relocated to their dream city of california whatever yeah right or they you know want to start a family and they move to Westchester. it's like great and then we on the flip side we deal with also domestic violence and like in your situation we deal with unfortunately death right we deal with I mean, I have sponsor units where you know the poor lady Murphy bed fell on the on the right. on the Murphy bed, and she you know the super founder like a week later. Right. You know, it's it's really tough. We deal There's with a lot divorce. of sad stories out there. A lot yeah. of sad stories, and it's just part of being in the in the game of residential real estate. So for the listeners that watch Million Dollar Listing on Bravo or <laughs> they watch HGTV, what is it, Property Brothers? Yeah, you know, one of the other one, or and, and it's like glory and money and and just. All the people wearing fancy suits and nice watches saying, look how amazing this kitchen is. And then they earn like a $100,000, $200,000 commission. Like, it's not like that, right? It's not always that glorious. And this is just one like prime example of like you having to go to court and spending all this time. And, yeah, yeah. and we had another tenant. Unfortunately, uh, he, you know, on, on the not the building uh, you ex-manage, he was a nice veterinarian man that I thought was a very pleasant man. But he ended up being a... Uh, uh, he was committed of molesting, groping, or something groping like that. Groping his, yeah. his, his patients, his veterinary patients, and unfortunately, you have to deal with this as well. But yeah. he, he, what happened to him? He, he, I think he jumped off like he was, you know, accused. Or it was the Randall's Island Bridge. Yeah, I was oh, you right. Yeah. It was yeah. the Randall's Island Bridge, which is right by the the property that he lived at yeah. on the Upper East Side. Yeah, and I knew this guy, and you know, I, I you know, for my, you know, br- yeah, he was he was always pleasant with yeah. me and everything. Yeah. I was was kind of sad. I suddenly get a call from I showed him remember who, I remember yeah. signed leases, pleasant. Yeah, and he was was in a perfectly fine tenant and everything. But I suddenly get a call. Uh, I don't remember if it was his wife or daughter or something, you know, or ex-wife or, you know, telling me about you know this guy's uh, committed suicide and this and that and and and. Their oh, first. I thought the city called you first. May, no, yeah, maybe it was the. I can't it was, remember. It maybe city. it was. Maybe it was. Somehow the city knew. Yeah. Call you. I, I don't know why. <laughs> maybe it was. Yeah, I can't Crazy. remember. It was I can't remember. With but morgue or but something? then I possibly. But then I spoke to his. Uh, and then the next call I I made or got was his, you know his wife or, or daughter or something and and. 
I felt so bad. Like the, the only thing they were worried about at that moment is like, oh, we, we, please, can we give the apartment back? We don't want to be, you know, because they didn't have a lot of money oh. and they didn't want to be responsible the for rental. his bills and everything. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, of course, you know, yeah, course. don't don't even think it. it's not, you, you got nothing to do with this, yep. you know, and I don't know. It's, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of sad stories too out there. Managing um, a resident, resident, it's, like it's, commercials, you're off on weekends. <laughs> No, com commercial, like I'll tell you, between, between no commercial... There's no girlfriends going after business? No, commercial, I'll tell you, between commercial and residential, especially in uh, retail and uh, rental buildings, uh, between retail and residential, you know, retail, yeah, it may take some time to set up a lease, to get the right tenant, to, you know, certain, certain uh, you know, uh, permits and work that they do in the sure. space may be a little bit obstructive Absolutely. or something. But once they're set up and up and running... Uh, retail tenants are really easy because they're responsible for everything commercial. It's a hundred percent on them. You know, they, every time something breaks, they fix it. Cause it's, unless it's something, for, if there's a leak from the building, obviously I got to right. take care. But anything that they have is pretty much on them. You know, with retail, you, you got to be there to, you know, to, to uh, with the resident, sorry, residential, residential yeah. you know, you, you gotta, you gotta be the person taking care of everything. There's you know, so, is, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's yeah, so much pretty much. On, there's now, yeah. yeah, you're always on call. You're, you're always, always on call. On call. You know? Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's a poor guy. You have to, you have to dip out of your barbecue to go it, nah, treat that's, this fire. Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's like, I wouldn't say it happens every weekend, but also like in the winter, a lot of times, a lot of heat calls heat and, calls, you know, sure. and even if you don't go, even if you're not going personally, you still, you got to coordinate the plumber and the, right. the, the HVAC company and this. And it's stressful, you know, you're getting calls and, and you and police you do. and morgues and fire departments. And <laughs> yeah. There's agencies that you don't really want to talk to, but you have to deal with sometimes. Yeah. And that's yeah, just yeah. really just a sad part, a rough part of our business. So, yeah. you know, I want to end it on a lighter note here because I know we went kind of deep here. You know, with, the, with regards to management of these co-ops and condos, do you in the future foresee yourself doing that part of the business again and if not why um or if yes why not 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 uh, I, I i don't want to like i don't and i don't see myself ever doing co-ops and condos again yeah. and there's advantages and disadvantages between co-ops condos and and rentals there's advantages and disadvantages sure. to everything me personally i find the rentals to be easier not always less work but easier in the, in the sense of just dealing with people's personalities and egos, you know, dealing with boards sure. and, and shareholders and unit owners. Sure. And, you know, that's the hard part. And for me, that's what I really didn't like in the co-op and co-ops and condos. And in, uh -huh. in, in a rental building, you're dealing with one landlord or one family, sure. you know, that usually trusts you if you're doing it for long enough. And, right. you know, you pick up the phone, you say this, this, that, that, you know, you, you work things out very quickly. And then with it, you try to accommodate the tenant. You have super. You have a super that you know helps you out in the buildings. And you try to accommodate. You know, you try to accommodate the tenants as well as you can. But also, in the end, everything is dictated by the market. You know, so you try to be as nice as you can, especially with people that are nice to you. Yeah. But in the end, you're not happy. That's fine. You can move out to somebody else interested. And you know, I don't lose any sleep or any thought about it. You know. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, when it comes to co-ops and condos, obviously it's. It's people's investments. It's, you know, and, and rightfully so. And too. politics yeah. and ego. And, and <laughs> like I would say my, 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 pre my preference and I would only work with rentals now. But after that, I, I preferred condos and only then co-ops. Co-ops yeah, okay. co is the worst. Co-ops is the worst. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, especially when it comes. And you know this a lot better than me, I'm sure. But especially when it comes to sometimes getting, uh, you know, rental applications approved. Oof, yeah. Or for sales, sales or rent. And, and, Small thing. Yeah. 
and it's and I'll tell you, like from from a property manager's perspective, you know, some of these, you know, uh, applications you get in, whatever, if it's sale or, or rental, they the underwriting doesn't usually take that long. You know, it, no. it, it's you basically you already do all the work and putting yep. the package together. Yep. We, you know, run a credit check. Yeah, you got to read over it and make sure, and, and right. then maybe write a summary for the board. Yeah, but the you know the processing isn't that much work. But then sometimes Probably it'll 10 get minutes. it'll yeah. But sometimes, yeah, yeah. It depends again, 10, depends on minutes. the apartment, depends on the, on the building, but. What do you think, then, you know, it takes what, 20 minutes max? Yeah. To review something? If you're a board member and you have to review one of our packages, you look at it, no, like I, 20 I, minutes? And sometimes I, as a manager, I would already even write a summary. They didn't have to read it. They would read the, all they needed to read in my summary. You don't but, have to read the tax return schedules? And, yeah. You know? No, no, I, oh. I do that. Oh, you, you do? Know? Okay. I, I, well, sometimes. I would say okay. I, I would do some of that. Yeah. But again, even for me, I, I already know how to read it quickly and process it and everything. And then you send it to a board and you have the broker and the buyer and the seller. They're all calling you five times a day. Oh. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on with the app? And, and all you need is a yes or no answer for, from whatever, five, three, seven board, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's like, why is this taking so long? You know, and it's, it feels, you know, it's sometimes, and, and it's like that with a lot of things. Too. Why do you it's think a, it takes so long? Because they're, they're not yeah. interested? Is it because they're power tripping? I, I, think, I think maybe a little bit of both, yeah. you know. Or, or some are just oblivious. Some are just, you know, a little bit spaced out. Or some are, and look, everybody's busy. It's New York. You know, everybody's busy. Everyone's got families, vacation uh, work. I yeah. And I, and I would feel bad for the brokers. I, I would always be like, look, I'm really trying my I best. I feel bad for you for, yeah. on behalf of all the brokers. Uh, in no, my, on my side, I feel bad for you because... It's not like you are making the decision. No. Listen, in, in the end of the day, and I'll say this out here, like property management, it's, it's a very interesting job. There's certainly rewarding sides to it, but it's very ungrateful too. You know, yeah. Nobody ever notices anything good that you do. It's only when there's problems, you get a, you know, an angry phone call and, and you have to start explaining yourself. It's and the most underpaid, overworked portion of the real estate. Possibly, possibly. It is a steady Deal. paycheck. It is recession-proof. Sure. Of course. It is recession-proof. It's recession, but that's true. That's but true. It's, very, it's very ungrateful. And, uh, you know, my, if, I, if somebody asked me if you had to, like, summarize, you know, an attitude or what, you know, how to, how to approach property management in general, I would just say three words. Management of expectations, you know. Ah. That's it. In the Smart. end of the day, in 95% of the times, whatever the problem is, flood, fire, insurance, whatever, violations, rats, whatever it is, everything can get solved. You know, it's just a matter of money. Yeah. It's just in time. How and time. But, you know, for the most part, you know, usually things, there's always a solution for, for things. It's just how long it takes and how happy people are, you know, with that ETA and, and the, the whole process and, you know... Yeah, there's a lot of very neurotic people in the city. It's a musical chairs business, in my opinion, because everyone gets mad at a management company and yeah. they hire the, the next management company who's also been fired from another building next door, likely. Yeah. And it, to me, it, and I'm going to get your thoughts on this, is it a race to the bottom as far as fees and operate, like management fees for these co-ops and condos? Is yeah. It, a race to the bottom, or is it more about not necessarily just musical chairs? I th I think a lot of times because I'll tell you just from the experience of picking up new properties, usually you, it's it's pretty rare for a management po uh, property to pick up a, a new you know a new account that's hunky dory, 100%. Everything's great, you know. Usually there's a reason 
why they change you know, management companies. And a lot of times it'll be either some huge capital improvement project that, you know, that went off the rails, that went off the rails or some, you know, some one, one you know, internal lawsuits with, with the, between, uh, you know, owners and boy, whatever. It can be a million and one problems, but that's usually when they look to switch management companies. So the new management, it's not like, oh, you're getting this, uh, you know, nice Pristine and tidy building. and uh, self-running building. You're like, okay, this is going to be work. And then you try your best to, you know, to bring everything up to speed and improve it. And then, yeah, sometimes, look, it's, it's like that with a lot of companies in general. I find, it, I find the same thing with, the, you know, with a lot of vendors I use sometimes uh, and, just, and just in general in the industry. You know, sometimes you, get, you, get, you give a new contractor, a new plumber, a new whatever kind of uh, vendor you know, uh, opportunity. You know, they want the business, they want to get into a management company. They'll do great work at first, you know, for the first few years. And then once they're in, it starts slipping up and, yep. uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating that to property <laughs> management. You know, it's like in every business, you know. It is such a but tough uh, business. Oh my goodness. I, yeah. you know, I wish I had a better idea of it coming into the business, how much work you guys have to do and yeah and it's, it's a lot so more than people think it's underappreciated for sure yeah and it's it's i mean again i i think it's a very interesting job every day is very different from the other you know a lot of people think it's just you know uh i don't know processing applications and and uh, and, and renting out apartments but it's nope. like it's you deal with you're really a jack of all trades because you have to know as a, as a good property management you besides you know all the leases and, and renting out apartments and everything but you have to you know know enough about you know, HVAC, heating, uh, intercoms, uh, roofing, facades. Oh, then there's the whole legal aspect. You know, if you if you have uh, if you have staff, you have to know all the union. You know, the union laws. If you have this, you have to. It's, what it's about a lot of financials. Accounting, accounting too. Accounting too, of course. Accounting. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot you do. You 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 write budgets every year for the for the co-ops and condos. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to know a lot about accounting. You know, you have to know a lot about like everything pretty much you know yeah. but it, it, it makes for an interesting day every day is different from the other a lot of it's out in the field you know which is nice it breaks up the day do you think the property management side is underpaid do you think the property managers on, on the aggregate should be earning more or do you think the hiring should be just the, the qualifications to join in the industry should be higher and the pay should be higher i i, I think maybe the pay should be a little bit higher because mm -hmm. uh, again it is a demanding job and especially because you are on call pretty much all the time mm -hmm. you know if there's a problem you know again if, if somebody calls you in the middle of the night they need to change a light bulb then you don't pick it up but you know so, yeah. but sometimes these these situations can be very stressful yeah no joe and, and I, I, I i also wanted to mention because you didn't you didn't give me a chance to introduce myself at first which uh, is fine please but i just wanted to know which you already did a better job than i can but <laughs> i i just wanted to mention you know going back an hour history because like i said i've been uh, doing this about since 20 at the end of 2011 and I first knew you at the time you were, I guess you were at Town? Or I was at Town or DJK, one of yeah, those. Yeah, and at the time, the, the, you know, the rental buildings that I managed were, were all open listings. You know? yep. I would give open, open listings yep. to, you know, to, to all the... And for the listeners, open listings meant like any broker could go in and yeah. show them. And yeah, that's we how would... I got in the door. Right? Yeah. Any broker but, could go and, and But I'll just keys. say, you were the only broker at the time. I don't know how it is now, but at the time, you were the only broker that that actually didn't handwrite the applications. Oh, type, yeah, you always yeah, typed the always, applications. Yeah. So that was already an automatic, at least I could read what I'm seeing. <laughs> so that, 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 I'm telling you that, that and, and since then, and then we started working, you know, I started choosing your application just on, based on that. Yeah, and the then, professionalism I, and then the also, I think, you know, you kind of, I realized and you realized that it's, 
actually it's a for me for sure it, it you know i understood that it's much you know especially if you have you know a large number of buildings and a lot of apartments to handle i you know really prefer having an, a broker to work exclusively with you know yeah. and which at the time you know and it happened to be you because you were yeah. doing a good job plus you know it's it's a good symbiotic relationship you know i i you know you get constant listings but you also know how to filter the people you know, not to right. just try and, because that, I, I found that a lot at the beginning, you know, I'd, I'd work with these brokers who were just trying to, you know, stick people in and Anything. make a deal happen. They're trying to hail Mary every deal. Whatever, right? and, and, yeah. and push, and I would also see it, they were so aggressive with their, with the prospective tenants, they would try to push, you know, people into apartments that clearly weren't for them. You and, gotta go get the check now, like, you gotta get the deposit now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. and in the end, it's like, you know, I, I, you know, I was like, oh, well, here's a guy who, who types his things, brings me good people, doesn't waste my time with the you know and 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 yeah and you know it just uh, it paid out in the end so yeah no it, it's certainly a little did. shout out to uh, you know thank the you early beginnings thank you no that's the uh, that's you know we've always tried to do better than our competition especially in an industry where the barrier of entry is very easy yeah and yeah. You know, the, i think the only requirement is you don't have to be a you can't be a felon yeah that's the only requirement so yeah that you know, what we, 75 hours of a uh, course yeah of yeah, course yeah, yeah. and it's, it's a pretty easy course and the test is very easy so we try to elevate and um you know i i really you know again you know going back to what i said earlier is i owe my initial this career that i have this initial part of my career to to you and your partners. Yeah, you and, did it yourself, man. You know, we, you know, it, we, wasn't, it wasn't out of the kindness of our hearts, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's, uh, you yeah, did a good job. It took a, it took a and, while. And, to it, and it saved me. It saved me time and it saved me, you know, the, 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 the thought capacity and not having to think about it. Yeah. And knowing that whoever you already do the filtering for me, you know, yeah, I'll have to do the credit check and all oh, that yeah, stuff, yeah. but I, I already know, and look, and again, you, nobody ever knows, you can have a tenant. We're not therapists, we're not psychologists. Yeah, yeah, so you're no, not yeah. Either. and, and there's, just, it's, it's hit or miss, but yeah. still there's a certain, there's a certain level of respect knowing, you know, that, and again, I'm saying it's a symbiotic relationship yeah. where, you know. We will always do our best to avoid putting uh, illegal businesses in your apartments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's, I, I should hope so. Well, just, I'm, I'm saying it out there for all those brokers who are, are looking to get into, you know, exclusive, uh, you know, exclusive relationships. Uh, relationships with landlords. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it's a two-way street, basically. Yeah, most of the time. Well, listen, I, this long episode, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you Joe for Fox. having me. It's a big, it's a big honor. It's, it's, I look forward to continuing to, uh, obviously, you know, on a personal side, hanging out and, Absolutely. and, and working with you. Business side, also building our, our business relationship going into the future as well. And, you know, thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. having me. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot.